0: amazing Christmas. Uh, It's crazy. I was talking to someone this morning, you just blink and Christmas goes by and then you're starting a new year. Uh, I hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, Ours was was blessed. We got to travel uh, to see my family in uh, North Carolina and then we went up to Maryland to see my wife's family and then we came back here yesterday, so it's, it was cool, and it, what was cool is that we saw my family, her family, and then we got to come back to a church family, uh, so it's a blessing, and what, what I love is that these last few years, we've gotten to celebrate these, these holiday, holidays, these really holy days on a, on a Sunday, uh, what, what better to do than to celebrate Christmas, celebrate New Year's uh, with God's people at God's house, uh, it's been, been a privilege, and, and as we all know, we're about to enter a new year. And when you have a new year, there's so much anticipation, there's there's uncertainty. But what I want us to do this morning, uh, our big priority, is to put God at the forefront of it all. If we don't put God at the forefront of our new year, it's going to crumble, as with anything. And we want to see God's truth. So if you will, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting turn to. Uh, that's not something we, we naturally turn to, you know. If you ask what's your favorite book of the Bible, not a lot of people are going to say Habakkuk. Not a lot of people know where Habakkuk is in the Bible because we just don't read it a lot. Uh, and, and the natural instincts say, oh, you give the youth pastor a Sunday morning and he chooses a minor prophet. But what, what we see with minor prophet is that minor doesn't at all, in the sense, mean a lesser prophet. Uh, but this prophet here gives truth. That God intended for his people to hear back then and today. It's in the Bible for a reason. And I want to see that what's amazing about this passage, this book, is that it applies. And this truth found in Habakkuk, God's truth found in Habakkuk, is the truth we need to hear this coming year. If we actually apply and, and see this truth and apply it and live it out, then our, our year will be successful we got to make sure we know that, that that year, a successful year, is not based on our terms and what we can do. It's based on God and what He does. Um, so, kind of kind of a turn of, of tone here. Uh, I was looking through some different New Year's resolutions because you know there's always the common ones like I want to lose weight, I want to go on a diet, I want to uh, I don't know what else other ones. There's other ones, um, but. I was looking through, I was like, what if I Googled, this is very youth pastor of me, what if I Googled weird New Year's resolutions and see what comes up? That was very dangerous. And I went down a long rabbit hole of seeing a lot of New Year's resolutions, but I picked out a few of them. They're not like super weird, but they're, they're different than your ordinary ones. So I have, a few, I have a few of them for you. So first, number one is, uh, clean out your car trunk that you haven't looked at for a really long time. Like, if you really look at your car trunk, you're like, why is that bad? I found a pretzel in my car the other day, and I was like, when did I put a pretzel in there? How, how old is this pretzel? And then I picked it. It's a long story. All right, but then number two, uh, order every drink on the Starbucks menu. I, you know, like, that's a goal? Yeah, it's, it's a goal for some people. Some people have already done it this year, I'm sure. Uh, number three, stop drinking morning coffee after you brush your teeth. I don't know if you do that, because you like brush your teeth, and you're like, oh well, I'll go back to my coffee, and then it defeats the whole point of brushing your teeth. Um, Delete the 162 unused apps on your phone. If you look at your phone, you're like, I don't even know what this app does. I don't even know, and I downloaded it, and I don't know what this does. Uh, Remember where I left my keys at least once a week. Uh, I put it in the same place, and I still don't remember where I I put my keys. Uh, Promise to use the gym membership you've been paying for all year. That's an applicable one. Read more, or at least turn the subtitles on while watching TV. Uh, And then, (laughs) there you go, yeah. And then last one, uh, celebrate Taco Tuesday every week. So every Tuesday, tacos. Something to look forward to right after your Monday. Uh, Those are really random, but I thought they were interesting because we always have the the same kind of direction we go in the new year. And we kind of do the same thing every new year. And there's usually like two groups of people there's maybe three. There's people who make resolutions, there's people who don't because they made resolutions and they kept not doing the resolutions, right? Or you make these new goals, and what I've learned about the new year is there's nothing necessarily special about it. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a breaking point. It's starting a new year, starting a whole new semester, sometimes a whole new Set of goals that you can have. You're able to think through. Hey, what do I want to accomplish this year? What did I not accomplish? I think that's prudent. I think that's wise, and I think it's biblical. But what often happens is we we move into this new year, and we try to try to psych ourselves up and say it's a new year, everything's going to be great. But what we get discouraged by later on is because we only give ourselves partial truth, and we forget, and we were remembered very we were reminded very quickly. That the troubles of last year follow. Now, now it, this is kind of like a duh statement, but, but people need to be reminded of it. I need to be reminded of it. Of that, if, if, Think of it this way. If I go through that door right there, okay, and I say if I go through that door, I'm going to be a new person. Give me a new name. Give me everything. I get to start completely fresh. right? I'm going to have different clothes, different everything. Everything's going to change about me. And I walk through the door, nothing will change. I will be exactly me. You're all like, yes, Miles, that's how doors work, right? But that's my point. The new year is a great time because you're going to this different room. You're going to this different door. You're going to a different time, a different year 2024. But what still happens, you're still the same you, and you don't magically get a blank slate because here's what happens your struggles follow. Your your chronic illnesses, your physical ailments follow. Your your mental anguish follows. Your your emotional toil follows. It doesn't just disappear. And that's not to discourage you. That's for us not to live in in a fake fake lie. That all my problems, if I don't think about them, then they're not there. And then you realize that they are there, and then your new year falls apart. And you say, man, I'm right back where I started. It's only January 22nd. Your circumstances are, are, are still around you. So we need to think about this differently. We need to think about, I can't, I, I'm trying to change all of my circumstances. I think that's the wrong first step. What I want us to do this morning, what I want us to claim, what I want us to say, what I want us to see from Scripture, most importantly, what God has to say, is that we can resolve to rejoice in the Lord no matter the circumstances by examining the three reactions of the prophet Habakkuk. Now, I went on YouTube And I try to do this, and before I I preach a sermon, I try to listen to other sermons, see what other pastors have to say. And I was looking through all of these, these New Year's sermons, and it's like, your best year yet. Being the real you, conquering 2024. And all those aren't necessarily bad. I just think it starts with the wrong foundation. Because what I'm here for this morning is not to give you a pep talk. I'm not here to make you feel super good and then enter a new year because then what's going to happen is the world's going to knock you right back down. What I want to give you and why you're here is to hear truth from God's word. And when we see the truth of God and his promises, you can find every reason to rejoice in the new year because of how great our God is. We have a reason to rejoice, and we see that in the book of Habakkuk. It's not super well known, but it's incredibly applicable and what's happening with Habakkuk is there's horrible circumstances that are, that are rising up in his life. There are things that are really bad going on around him, just like in, in our lives oftentimes. We look at our circumstances, and we want to change them, and we realize we can't, and then we react. And we see Habakkuk does the same thing, and he reacts. He has three reactions. Let's look at his first one. The first reaction is the prophet fearfully questions. The Prophet fearfully questions. Now look with me in, in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. We'll start in verse 1. Word of God says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, if a wrong judgment proceedeth. And in the context that is happening here is, is we actually don't know. We know Habakkuk's the author, right? That, that's a little bit obvious. But we don't know much about Habakkuk. What we do know is in verse 1 that he's a prophet and that he has a burden. That word burden means, means something heavy. It could be translated oracle as well, or prophecy. What it means is that this prophet has something so heavy that was on his heart, he had to tell everyone. That's what a prophet did. They were given a burden. They were given the burden of judgment's coming. I feel it strong on my heart. I have to go share it. And what Habakkuk's struggling with is he's looking at his future, and it looks really bleak, and it weighed heavy on his heart. And what he does in verse 2 is what is called the first complaint of Habakkuk. And we see that in verse 2. What he does is he, he cries out. He's crying out to God, and he's like, Lord, you're not answering me. Do you see the circumstances? like, things are really bad, and there seems to be no salvation from you. And then he, he elaborates on that, verse three. I'm seeing all this wickedness around me, and, and no one's getting punished. God, you don't seem to be doing anything. And the wickedness he's talking about is in Judah. He's the prophet to Judah, and he's looking at the, the people of Judah, and he's saying, they're wicked, they're evil, they're sinful. They're supposed to be your chosen people, Lord, and they're sinning. And it seems like you're not doing anything about it. And then verse 4, he expands even more. He says, In the whole justice system, the law is slacked. It's corrupt. The people are wicked. The leaders aren't helping but promoting the wickedness. And God, you seem to just be standing by. And in, in Judah, the wicked people seem to be thriving. And this is, this is similar, I believe, to, to our culture. Because we can ask these same questions. And you probably have asked these same questions. Because there, believe it or not, this might be a surprise to you, but there's wickedness everywhere in our culture, everywhere. And, and what wickedness does, what sin does, is it takes something that was good in it, it twists it, and we see sin do that, and we see wickedness prevailing. Uh, you can see it in, in a TV show, and music, and the government, and schools, and social media. And, and sometimes we have the temptation, it's all that new generation's coming up, and they're bringing all the wickedness with them. But wickedness isn't a new idea. It's in the new generation, it's in the old generation. Wickedness is there. And what makes it even more annoying sometimes is that not just is there wickedness, but the wicked seem like they're succeeding. And it seems like things are going really well for them. And then, Lord, look at me. My circumstances are not going well, and I'm trying to serve you. But you're making the, it seems like the wicked are are prospering. And there's this age-old question he asks God: Where are you? Do you do you see the evil? Are are you failing us? And he asks these bold questions, and, and I believe that in, in some ways he, he's, he's proper in doing this because he doesn't go to himself, he doesn't go to his friends, he doesn't go to, to other people. He says, I want to bring this concern before the Lord because this is something I'm struggling with. This is the burden I'm carrying. What's really cool is that the Lord answers him. This is really unique about Habakkuk because in most prophets, what, if, you, if you read most of the major prophets or minor, they address a nation specifically. Obadiah kind of talks to the Edomites, Hosea to the northern kingdom, Jeremiah to the southern kingdom. Ezekiel talks to the exiles. But Habakkuk isn't talking to another nation. He's talking and having a dialogue with God. And what's cool for us is that we get to kind of eavesdrop into that conversation. And very similar to us, what he's asking is, very simply, God, why? And the Lord answers. He does it in verse 5. He answers very quickly. This is one of the most amazing verses. Here we go. They're all, it's so good. Look at the world. Now let's let's read verse five. That's probably better. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. What the Lord is saying is, look at the world around you and pay attention. Because I'm about to do something so amazing, if I told you, you would not believe it. He's saying, Habakkuk, do you think all this, even what's happening with the heathen, with all these nations, all this conquest that is going on, there's all these people conquering, there's all these big world events happening, do you think that's just by accident? Do you think that just happens and, and I get surprised by it, Habakkuk? No, the Lord knows and he says, I'm sovereign, I see how this is working, I'm guiding, my hand's involved in this. He says, look, things are happening and what they're pointing to is this work that I am doing. And our point there is the Lord is working. Now we hear that and we're like, yeah, the Lord is working. But think about Habakkuk, what he's thinking. He's saying, God, why are you even doing anything? Where are you at? And the Lord answers and says, I'm working. I am doing something. But Habakkuk, if I went and told you, you wouldn't believe it. Because the accusation here that Habakkuk has, that we often have, is that, God, you seem to have just gone dormant. I know you're not extinct. You don't seem to be doing anything. But what God says it's quite the opposite, I'm doing a plan you would not believe. I mean, think about this going into the new year, because I believe this. I believe if, because this is how stubborn I am as a human, if God came down and told me right now the plan he has for me this year, this decade, this century, I probably wouldn't believe it. You're like, well, he's God, yeah, but I'm stubborn, and it's, you know, and it's a sinful human. And if God, God came down and told me, I wouldn't believe it because what I would think is, but God, look at my circumstances. Like, you're saying this will happen, and you know, maybe, but, but what about right now? What is, what, look at what is happening right now in my life, in the world. How is it going to get to that? It's all the way over here, and you say you're going to take it over there? and I wouldn't believe it. I mean, if God told me two years ago that I'd be a youth pastor in Ohio with the best youth group ever, I, I wouldn't believe it, right? Like, these are these are not things that this this all happened. And and you told me, man, when I was, man, you told me when I was five years old that I'd be a youth pastor, I'd be like, no, probably not. I would be an astronaut, right? It's like if, if you were told these things, you you wouldn't believe it. We have such a small view of God sometimes and what he tells us and his promises. What God is saying to Habakkuk don't minimize me. Don't minimize God because I have this great plan for you, Habakkuk. I have this great plan for Israel. He has this great plan for us. And look with me at verse six. Here's God's plan. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. And what that says, hey, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, uh, they're coming and they're gonna conquer you. And I'm going to use them. And we've got to think about the Babylonians for a second. We can't miss this. And we've learned about this in Sunday school when we went through our, our series on the Minor Prophets and in Jeremiah. That these Babylonians are nasty, wicked, violent people. They cared not for human life. And they definitely didn't care about God. They only cared about their self-glorification. Even their idols. They used their idols to prop themselves up. And really, verses 7 through 11, God just kind of says, yeah, they're really violent and really wicked and really evil. And and we we can compare this. We can relate to this. I mean, just think of of the new developments even these past few months with with Hamas, right? Actually, when when the word violence is used in Habakkuk, it it translates in Hebrew to Hamas, right? It's this absolute, violent, wicked, horrible, nasty people. So the summary here is Habakkuk questions with fear, says, what are you up to? God says you wouldn't believe it, but, but here's a sneak preview. I'm bringing the, the Babylonians, and what does that make Habakkuk do? He complains again because he's like, I don't want you to do that. Like, I, I said fix the problem, and now you're going to bring the Babylonians in? Like Don't do that, Lord. Like I wanted you to fix it. I wanted you to work, but not that way. Don't, don't bring in, in these people. I mean, punish Judah, but not that Way, and you know that that happens. You know, sometimes we we are so tunnel focused people, and we see things in we we often see things as my way of the highway. This is the only right way. Uh, I, I remember a story. I was reminded of this when, when I went to visit my family. Is and I was I was probably about five or so, and I had a little sister, and she was. Two maybe. Uh, and I was trying to teach her how to play basketball. I should not teach anyone how to play basketball because I'm not good at it. But all I was teaching her is like, hey, you have a ball, you pick up the ball, and you throw it in the net. Because we have this little plastic hoop. So I was teaching her. I was like, here's the ball, and then you shoot it, and then it goes into the ball, into the net. See, I don't even know what I'm saying now. All right, But I remember I was teaching her. I showed her a few times, and she looked at me like I was the dumbest human alive. She's like, picks it up, looks at me, still looking at me with that, that skepticalness in her eyes. She's only like two or three. And she goes, and she walks up to the net. She doesn't throw it. She just plops it in there. She's like, why would I shoot the basketball when I can just walk up and put it in there, right? And she looked, oh, I remember her face. She was like, man, my brother's so dumb. He doesn't know what he's talking about, right? And I was like, no, Grace, you got to shoot it. And it still didn't work. I tried. It still doesn't work. But my, my point with saying that is that we get so focused like this is the only way. This is the only way to do it. This is the only way things can happen. This is the only way that things can happen the way I want it to happen. Because what I want to do, what I like being, and what Habakkuk liked being is the boss, right? Like this is the way things are going to happen. Like do what I want in my way, in my time, and in my process how I desire. And Habakkuk was thinking the same way. but He wasn't the boss, and we're not the boss, God was, and he is, and he's working. So what we see through that first point is that Habakkuk first complains. That was the very unwise part. But then he does something very wise. He waits. Look with me at the second reaction. So we see he fearfully questions, and then the prophet faithfully waits. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. That's what the prophet of says. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. He says, "See, I, I, I will wait to see what the Lord says to me. And he's, he's not being disrespectful here as if the Lord owed him an explanation, but he did know that the Lord cared about him and would guide his prophet. And what we see is in verses 2 through 20 of chapter 2 is that the Lord answers. The basic summary of how the Lord answers is, have faith in me. He says in verse 3, be patient. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry. Wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. That's really hard to do. Like If you want answers... Like, and you really want the answer now, and someone tells you to wait, you're like, no, I, I, want, it. I want it now. The Lord responds so, so profoundly. Look at verse 4, and you've heard this verse before. It says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So the first part of that, and then we'll go to the second. It says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. That's referring to Babylon. What's saying is they are so lifted up; they think they are the best things since sliced bread. They think they are the best, and God is saying, Habakkuk, I recognize their wrongdoing, and because they think they're the best, and because they have this self-glorification, what will happen is they will fall because they're trusting in themselves. Now, here's the cool part: but the just shall live by his. And in the, 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 what's happening here is he contrasts. There's the really prideful who think they can do it all, but then there's the just, the righteous, the pure, those who are free from sin, those who are loyal to God alone. The righteous are trusting wholly in their God, the God. And we see this. This is a clear clear theme through Scripture, and it's so abundantly clear in the New Testament. Look at this. This is cool. This is extra for you. We see that the the... Phrase, but the just shall live by his faith, is found in three different books of the, New, uh, of the New Testament. A commentator said that it took three books to kind of explain this one verse, because it's such a big idea. But Romans 1.17, we see that, that Paul talks about it. He, he emphasizes the word just, and how that means that you have been declared innocent when you are saved. Uh, he talks about it again in, in Galatians 3.11. It's this emphasis on, on live. It, it, it says, the just shall live, not by your works, by, by your faith by living and having faith in Christ. And then Hebrews 10, 38 again talks about it, and it has the emphasis on the word faith. It talks about persevering trust. And my point in saying this all to you is that this minor prophet is not something we throw out and just say that's some different thing than the whole New Testament and the rest of the Bible. What we're seeing here is that this whole idea of the righteous living by faith is all throughout Scripture. And what God is saying is hope not in yourself, but have faith in God. Because the Babylonians, they said, we got this. But the just do it says, God's got this. And they cling fully to him. And that proves the point that the Lord is trustworthy. And think about that word. He is worthy of our placing all of our faith. Like all of our faith. Like not just a little bit, not just what I'm comfortable giving over to him, Not just part, but literally, truly, all of me. And what the Lord does, and it's so, so profound and so wise, because that's how our Lord is, is he even gives the reason for placing that faith. He does that through verses 6 through 20 in um, Habakkuk chapter 2, and he gives what's called the five woes. And what he's saying here is he's saying, Habakkuk, I see the evil that is in this world. I see how it's in the Babylonians. I see how it's in Judah God also says, I will punish the evil. And then we see Habakkuk reacts once more. And, you know, I kind of thought about uh, Habakkuk and thought about, okay, what would I do? And then I thought about different points of view, different perspectives. Here with that next slide, I think got the chart up there. Let's see, all right, perfect. I found this, this interesting way to think of a glass of water, right? We got, we got the natural ones, we got like half full, that's the optimist, and then pessimist says uh, half empty. And the realist, it's like, that's a glass of water. Uh, then we have the physicists. They're looking at it like, okay, well, there's gas and there's liquid. and the, Technically, the cup's never empty, and there's no part of it's empty. And then you have a surrealist. It's like the water's sideways, right? And then a relativist, uh, they believe it all different, half empty, half full. It's just relative. Depends on how you think about it. Utopists, They believe everything's the best, right? So they believe it's all at the top of the glass of water. And then skeptics, like, it's not water. It's not water at all. And then an artist, they have a paintbrush. All right, all right. But what I was thinking is like, how do I often see life? Like, what is my perspective? What do I fall into? And you think about it with me. Like, what what do you usually fall into? What is your kind of gut reaction when things don't go well? When you're looking at the circumstances of life, how do you, how do you think? You know, I, I often I don't know what I you probably have to ask my wife. She probably know better. I don't know. Sometimes a skeptic,ist like oh, I don't know if this is really real at all. Or sometimes I'm too real. And I'm like, this is just a glass of water, and I uh, oscillate between those two. But I was also thinking, like, which one was Habakkuk? Like, which glass of water was Habakkuk? And, you know, I think at the very beginning, when we, when we see in chapter 1, is that Habakkuk was just, like, a pessimist. He's like, this is the worst possible thing ever. And then God tells him something, and he says, okay, that's actually the worst possible thing ever. And he just continues with this pessimism. But what Habakkuk does as we move into chapter three is I believe instead of being a pessimist and looking at the glass half empty, instead of looking at the water at all, he just says, Lord, here's my cup. You take it and hands everything fully over to God. And he testifies in chapter three, verses one through 15 of the great power of God. And that brings us to verse 16. Let's look at it. Verse 16. When I heard my belly trembled, My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself. I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Let's look at the first half of that. What Habakkuk is saying is Man, I'm scared. Like, I'm scared. The adrenaline is pumping. My body's ready for something horrible to happen. Because what he's just been told is Hey, Habakkuk, your hometown, your livelihood, everything you know is about to be destroyed. I don't know, the, Habakkuk doesn't know the precise time, but he knows tragedy is coming and he's struggling a little bit with it. But God made a promise and Habakkuk says that he will trust him. He will trust God to keep his promise. Instead of Habakkuk trying to solve everything and taking it into his hands, instead of worrying, and if he worries enough, that he'll be able to worry it out of existence. Think about those two things. So we do both of those things. When we see a problem, we're like, we're either I got to solve it or I'm going to worry about it so much and hope that solves the problem, but they never do. And that's not what Habakkuk does. He's saying, I am struggling with my circumstances and it is hard, and my body is physically telling me it is hard. But then look at what he says. He waits. He says, And I tremble to myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. He says, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. There's a new year coming, and sometimes with the new year, what we try to do is we try to plan all of these things, which isn't necessarily bad. We try to plan all these things, and then what we try to do is even more than that. We try to think through every possible scenario to solve every possible problem, and we have to put it all on our shoulders because it's my burden to carry, and I have to solve it. But what Habakkuk does here is the complete opposite of that. He waits upon the Lord He knows his promises, the Lord's promises and help and grace are true. A commentator says, whenever we find ourselves getting churned up within, we can be sure that we need to stop, pray, and wait on the Lord before we do some stupid thing. I think that's very true. Because whenever something happens, I want to react immediately. I want to react emotionally. But Habakkuk understood. He said, the Lord is faithful. He sees the evil and and will punish. The Lord is is faithful. And what was cool is that God fulfills this promise because Habakkuk is written before the, the book of Daniel. And what happens in the book of Daniel is this promise is fulfilled. The Babylonians get destroyed as God promised. The Babylonians are defeated. But, you know, Habakkuk didn't necessarily get to see the fruition of that. What Habakkuk knew is that the Lord promised something. The Lord promised that he would provide help in my struggles. And I can trust him. And I can wait on him. And the Lord, now his dialogue is done. The Lord doesn't respond anymore to Habakkuk. His answer is made known. He says, the just shall live by faith. Have faith in me, Habakkuk. I got you. Now Habakkuk has one last reaction. We see that. Number three, the prophet firmly resolves. He was faithfully questioning, or he was fearfully questioning. then Then he was faithful. He was faithful in waiting. Now the prophet firmly resolves. We see this in verses 17 through 19. Let's read it one more time. This is so good. So good. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. Labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. Flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord; I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds' feet. He will make me to walk upon mine highest places. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. In you know, verse seventeen, it lays out like the worst possible scenario it's the worst case scenario it doesn't sound good when you read verse 17 and let's take it apart a little bit because the more you know about it the more you are like oh yeah that's that's not good <laughs> that, this, this isn't looking good Habakkuk but what he says is first although the fig tree shall not blossom and what we see in and there's it's talking about a, a literal fig tree but also a symbolic fig tree whenever we see fig tree in scripture most more specifically with Israelites it often means a symbol of peace if there's no fig tree, there's no peace. That's what Bacchus indicating here, poetically. He's saying there's not going to be any peace. All right, no peace. What else? The fruit, not on the vines. It's gone. The olives, they're not going to labor. There's going to be no produce. And we're like, okay. I don't like olives, anyways. That doesn't seem that bad. But think about what olives does for them. It provides olive oil, and what olive oil was used back then is it uh, fueled their lamps. It was used for cooking. It was used for cosmetics. It was used for ailments. Like it was a basic commodity. It was something everyone had, even the poorest. They had olive oil and these olives. But he's saying even the most basic things you don't have. Okay, so we don't have peace. We don't have fruit. We don't have olive oil. The fields, they have no food. So now I have absolutely no food. And then even the flock in, in the livestock, they're all dead. And the question is, there's no peace, no food, no nothing. What, what are we going to do? How will we survive? And think about this modern-day comparison. We, we can apply this very easily. Say the grocery store shuts down. You're like, I can't go to the grocery store anymore? Like, I need to go to the grocery store. Where, where am I going to get food? I have no insurance. I have no electricity. I have no running water. A Wall Street's collapsed. There's no money in the bank. I don't have support from anyone else. Every semblance of structure and stability, gone. That's what Habakkuk is saying here. Everything that we hold dear and that we, we hold to make ourselves feel more stable and feel like we can get through life, all that, gone. If all of that is gone, what do we do? Like, man, talk about a a new year, right? It's like, oh, what if all of our structure is gone? What a bag says is not the end of the world. He didn't become a prepper and say, everything's failing, We we gotta change it. He also didn't give up and hide away and say, if everything goes wrong, I give up. It's all being destroyed, anyways. Might as well just go do whatever. No, he doesn't get pessimistic, he doesn't get depressed, he doesn't get worried what he does. Habakkuk says yet. Most underrated word ever. Yet. The circumstances are all pointing this way, saying this is going to happen, this is how you're going to respond. But Habakkuk says yet. Not over. What the word yet implies, and this is exciting, the word yet implies there's hope. There's something that's changed. There's something that's different. And what he says is yet I will rejoice. He exclaims joy. And, and and we got to look about, what is he rejoicing in? What am I rejoicing in? Am I rejoicing in this new year, man? I want my money to increase, and that'll bring me joy. I, I, I want the government to finally actually, like, do the right thing, and that will bring me some joy. Maybe, maybe my family can finally go the direction I've been pushing it, and that'll bring me joy. Maybe in my job, I'll start getting the raise I deserve, and that will bring me joy. Maybe I'll Find the job I've been looking for. Maybe I'll find it in my success, in my fame, in my power, in my possessions. I'll find the joy there. And are any of those necessarily bad things? Not at all. Don't don't hear that for me. But that's not where my joy is founded. Because if it is, it's gonna be gone. Like you have it for a little bit, but it'll, it'll be so sad. It's not it's not full joy, it's just a little bit of joy, and then it goes and it disappears. What does he say? He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And then he continues. He says, I rejoice in the Lord who promises to save. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. This is the God. And we think about this with with a new Testament perspective. This is the God who sent his son to save us. And that's what I rejoice in. The Lord who loved me so much to send his son to die on a cross for me so that I can have hope not just in the new year but for eternity. That's the God that we rejoice in. And I love that he says, will. He's not saying, I might rejoice if, you know, everything's pointing the right way, and I feel up to it, and I'm awake in the morning enough, and I can move on, and everything's going well, and I have my coffee in me, and everything's good. No, he says, I will. Circumstances aren't dictating Habakkuk. Neither are feelings, but truth is. That's why it's important to know God's word. Because when everything else changes, God's word doesn't. And that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us truth. I mean, talk about a resolution. Is saying, I will rejoice in the God I serve, the God of all. Because that's where joy is rooted. And what we see in, in continuing on is verse 19. The Lord God is our strength. And what I want to make sure you see it, and it probably says this in, in, your, in your Bibles, it shows this, is that the Lord is capital letters. I love that. Never overlook that. Because when the Lord's capital letters, you know it's talking about the Lord. Not just somebody, not just some being, not just some grandfather in the sky. This is the Lord, the great I am. That's who we're talking about here. And what Bacchus says in verse 19 is he knows his God. He says the Lord God, the God. Not some distant figure, not a grumpy grandpa, not a grinning Jenny. The, 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 it's the God, the God overall, the God he knew, the God who responded to him. And what's so cool to me, and I think we forget it, I said you, I think me, I think I forget it, is that we serve the same God that Habakkuk served. And this God, the God, gives us the ability to stand up straight when the world seems to be falling. He gives strength that is firmly rooted in him. He gives this metaphor, I have a picture up of it for you. He says that he will make my feet like Hinds' feet. The word Heinz is referring to to deer or to goats. Uh, It has, uh, you've seen this before, whether with goats or with deer, that they can stand on like an edge of a a mountain and, and not fall off. You say, if I went up, man, if I was where that deer was, I'd probably fall down the mountain. Like, I couldn't get all the way up there. And the more pictures you look at, the more impressive it gets. Like, how is the deer able to stand there? It's because his feet are designed to clutch to the ground. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are around him, he, he holds fast, he holds firm, he holds to what is his strength. What God does, he says, I'm gonna make your feet like the deer's. When everything else is falling around you, you stand firm. The deer stands firm, so can you, because your footing is on God alone, and everything else is literally crumbling, but God does not. And contrast this from, from verse 16, where he's, he's saying, when I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones he was scared what moved him what gave him confidence is he focused on his god that's the change here a lot of us are in verse 16 and we need to move ourselves down to verse 19 and the only way to do that is to rejoice in the lord put yourself in habakkuk's shoes right now he's in this hard journey there's been fear there's been failure there's been struggle Man, he's not focused on a new year. Man, he's hoping he can make the next day. But I believe if we asked Habakkuk at the end of chapter 3, if we asked him in heaven right now, do you regret this? Are you mad this happened? He says, no, not at all. Because you know what that did? It helped me see my God clearer. I saw he wasn't failing, but he was working. You know, why why bring up Habakkuk at all on a New Year's Eve sermon? Because it resonates with us we struggle. And a great great prophet, right, struggled because he's human. And the only thing that made him great was his God. But we see, you know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if, if Christmas was, was hard, you know. Sometimes the most, statistically, it's the most depressing time of the year. Like, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but not always. It's hard. People were alone. People were hurting. People were missing People, people were grieving. Or maybe like, no, I, my Christmas was, was great. I, and I, I'm actually scared to death of the new year because I don't want to go back into the mundane of everyday life because my Christmas was so good, but now I have to go back in the day-to-day and I'm scared because I don't know what's coming. Got to go back to the hustle and grind. Got to go back to being busy all the time. I got to go back to my problems. I have to go back to the unknown. Because you know what the holiday didn't do? It didn't take away bills. It didn't take away sickness. A lot of you are experiencing that, right? You're like, the sickness was still there during the holiday, it didn't take away division, it didn't take away hurt, it didn't take away sadness, it didn't take away the worry that we struggle with. And Habakkuk understood that better than most. That's like the, wow, he understood. He, this shows what we're going through, but then we can't leave there. We see that this book gives us hope today. Hope from a brief, minor prophet. What it says is, what we can take away is the truth in God's word that we can make the choice to rejoice, not because of the new year, not because of a new me, but because of the same I am. Man, it's not about the new year, 2024. That's not a bad thing to celebrate. It's awesome. That's not why I'm, not, I'm telling you to enjoy it. But when you think about the new year, 2024, you think about a new me, you're thinking way too small. What I want you to do and what I want you to leave here when you go out of these doors, not to be like, man, I can be a better me or I can conquer this new year. You're thinking way too small. I want you to go and think about our God who's going to guide you and help you. We serve the same God of the Old Testament, New Testament, who created, who sustained, who we see in, as pastors preached, Hebrews 11, who's helped Abraham, Moses, David, Habakkuk. This is the same God. What our goal should be is never to underestimate our God this year and to think he's failing, to think he's silent, to think he's not working, he is doing something we couldn't even imagine. If I, I believe this, 100%. I believe if all of us sat down and I interviewed each of you and you told me what you thought was going to happen this year, I believe it wouldn't even come close to the great things God has planned because that's how good our God is. You say, well, statistically, you would probably get something right. That's not the point. The point is that our God is so far above us and so good and so loving that he's doing something not one of us could guess because that's how good our God is. And stay with me, stay with me. This is, this is so cool. This is amazing. We see in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse five, that, that God says, Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe what great work I'm doing. And Habakkuk hears that and he's thinking, oh, You're going to bring the Babylonians. That's what he thinks the great work is. But we as Christians know there's an even greater work that the Lord did. How the Lord did his greatest work by sending his only son to die and pay the price for man's sin. And to rise again, conquering death and offering life everlasting to all who believe. And to receive that everlasting life, look at this. We go to chapter 2, verse 4, which is by faith if you want to receive that everlasting life that is part of his greatest work, it comes by faith, it comes by believing. Not understanding all that's happening in the world, not by being in control, but by faith, by trusting, by believing. And when we receive Christ, we can do exactly what Habakkuk did. Because we see our world today, but we know that's not the end. We know in verse 16, even though we might might feel physically scared about what's coming, we're able to wait because we know that he Christ will return and right all the wrongs that happened. And because of that, I can, verse 18, I'm able to rejoice because God is my salvation, not my circumstances or anyone else, and not myself. And I know the Lord's returning, so I'm able to rejoice in the Lord because I'm saved, I'm safe, I'm redeemed. My trials, Satan himself, hell itself, I have no fear over that because I believe in my Lord who takes care of me. And I know that because, verse 19, he is my strength it's not a prosperity gospel that you won't have problems this year. What you do have is strength that is not your own. And that's way better. Because when problems come, and they will. That's not to scare you. We we all know that. But I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be depressed or saddened. I can trust in my Lord. I can have hope in him if I believed in what his son has done. Now, if I believed, I believe in what Christ is, and I've called upon his name. I know that he's going to help me through my earthly life and that I have an eternal life and that through all of that, I can have joy in him. We can make the choice to rejoice this new year. There's, this, there's an awesome quote that helps show this. Our joy is in proportion to our trust. Our trust is in proportion to our knowledge of God. If you know God, you truly know him, you're going to trust him. And if you trust him, you're going to have joy because you trust him because you know who he is. It all works together. You want joy, trust God. You want to trust him, know him. The new year, you know, some people love it because there's hope. Some people hate it because the hope's gone. And they say, well, we can't can't change it. It's not going to be as good as this year. But bypassing all that, when you place God at the center of your new year, of your life. Hope never leaves because God never does. What I encourage each of us to do, myself included, is gaze upward to the one who holds the new year in his hands, who takes care of us. Last verse. Peter adds magnificently to this idea. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, referring to Christ yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Verse eight says you can have this unspeakable joy. I love that idea. It's like this joy is amazing. This joy is better than anything you've ever felt because it comes from God. You can have it now, verse eight, because of Christ. And then verse nine, you can have joy in the future when you're glorified with him. This new year, rejoice in the Lord now and forevermore, for he is the God of my salvation, He's the God of your salvation. He is our strength. Let's pray.